pushed it, you can push yours, and then we are on the air. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the fourth Wednesday of the month, and we have a brand new regular on the show, Dr. Lori Marvish. She'll tell you all about the show that she's going to be doing. And today we have a very important topic because my understanding is this is like the number one, I don't know if it's the number one leading killer, but it's certainly the number one, I think, diagnosis of people that go into the doctor, high blood pressure. And Dr. Marvis is going to tell us how you can decrease your high blood pressure, your hypertension naturally. And she's going to give us at least five ways. Please welcome her to the show. Thank you, AJ. I'm super excited to be here every fourth Wednesday. And it's such an honor to, to be with you on a regular basis. And yeah, I really wanted to speak to um, a few different things. I think I'd like to really take the topics that I get most from patients questions and really try to highlight those once a month, you know, maybe just like the top five things you can actually do kind of make it very actionable and result oriented type of thing versus just, I know there's tons of science, right? But like, what can you actually do in your daily life? And I think those are the ones that people really appreciate the takeaways. And um, I found some interesting research. I'm doing a hypertension summit that goes live next March. So I'm doing tons of um, interviews with Dr. Kim Williams, and we talked about Dr. Goldhammer. I'm interviewing, um, you know, lots of amazing people, and they have great insights. And um, but so part of that was just me doing some research on hypertension and different things. So I'm going to highlight some things that I know you've probably heard of, but I'm going to give you some very um, more uh, to date uh, recommendations on, and then also how much you'll, you can actually see blood pressure decrease. So I wanted to make that pretty measurable. And of course, the first one, you guys, is fairly straightforward. I'm sure you guys are all going to know is a whole food plant-based diet. You know, and what you see here um, when you look at the research is on the top number. Well, first of all, let me just, maybe I should just explain what is considered a healthy <laughs> blood pressure and then how you want to measure that. Um, and you actually should be measuring your blood pressure at home probably at least once a year, um, just because if you're over the age of 18, <clears throat> That's the thing is that blood pressure can go undiagnosed for many years because it is asymptomatic until you get noticed that your your uh, maybe your heart failure is starting to show. Like you might show some heart failure, you might um, have a heart attack, you might have kidney failure. So there's there's lots of things to here to consider. But hypertension is very uh, sneaky, kind of comes up onto you. Um, so what you want to be looking for is ideally, optimally. Um, blood pressure is under 120 on top. That's called your systolic blood pressure. So when your heart is contracting, you're pushing blood out into your arteries. That is the pressure exerted on those arteries on the inside. And um, then on the bottom is diastolic blood pressure. And so you want to keep that under 80. And honestly, even a little bit lower, but you know, again, depending on the size of the person, uh, under 115, and under um, 80, definitely on that bottom. But that diastolic pressure is the pressure being exerted on these um, vessels as the heart is relaxing between beats and filling back up with blood to, to start the process again. And so a few things that I really wanted to speak to about that. So when I say, you know, a lowering of the systolic, that is the top number. And then on the bottom number is the diastolic. So I'll be saying that would be lowering that just so you can understand what I'm saying. Um, of course, we focus on a whole food plant-based diet or a DASH diet is where most of the um, 
uh, research has been. So these are dietary approaches to stopping hypertension. That's what DASH stands for. And what you'll see here is a lowering of almost six points on top. And it's really important to understand that with lowering a blood pressure, it seems like, oh, that's not very much. You think of blood sugars, you know, that's a much more uh, larger number that you'll see. But when you look at the actual evidence, I had some numbers here. Um, the actual, when you reduce just five millimeters on the, the top number, it has been associated with mortality reduction of 14% from stroke, 9% from heart disease, and 7% from all-cause mortality. So just that alone, just switching to a whole food plant-based diet decreases your risk significantly from some of the top killers in the United States. Um, and then on the bottom number, that diastolic number, you'll see reductions of about three points. So this is really a matter of focusing on the nitrate-rich veggies like chard, arugula, beet greens, you know, all those ones that um, Dr. Esselstyn has kind of almost a sing song, how he says it. I don't know if any of you have uh, heard him kind of say, roll off the tongue, literally uh, all these wonderful dark green leafy vegetables. And I wanted to just kind of, kind of reiterate for you what is actually occurring when you eat these vegetables. So you know, so these veggies have the nitrates and they also may contain what we call nitrites, right? So you start the chewing process, right? The actual, the mechanical uh, digestion that starts in your mouth. There's actually mouth bacteria that convert it from nitrate to nitrite, okay? And then as it's going down into the esophagus, into the stomach, the acidic stomach converts the nitrite to nitric oxide. Okay, then that circulates in the body to promote the effects. And that's where you'll hear Dr. Esselstyn speak of the nitric oxide effects in relaxing the blood vessels, affecting the endothelial layer, those very delicate cells inside of your arteries. Um, but there's, there's some other stuff that goes on here. So the leftover nitrate or the and nitrites absorbed back into the intestine, okay? Um, the kidneys will sometimes uh, excrete some excess but some nitric oxide made from the conversion, um, even if it's in the kidneys, sometimes there's even additional nitric oxide made from the conversion in the blood when the oxygen is low. So let's say that um, you're going to <clears throat> elevation or you're running and you're needing more oxygen. Sometimes the kidneys, you know, what you'll see in the nitrates, nitrate in the blood will actually be converted to nitrate at that point as well. And then the blood nitrate can be picked up by the salivary glands again believe it or not, it's like recirculated back into the mouth, re-entering the nitric oxide production cycle. So the mouth is really an important piece here. So you really want to avoid using mouthwash. Um, if you can, that would be really an important piece. Um, but anyways, I just found it so fascinating how the whole body works <laughs> when it does these cycles. But um, just want to explain that a little bit to you. And then the second thing here is really lowering your sodium intake to 1500 milligrams, um, which is about two thirds of a teaspoon. And I know uh, I typically tell you people say SOS free, sugar, oil, salt free, um, but there may be some people in the transition. So if, even if we can just push it down, they're gonna see some advantages and we'll see the top number decrease by about seven points and the bottom number by three points. So again, remember that significant drop in mortality risk with these leading killers in the United States. And that's just by decreasing your sodium intake. So you have to be really mindful of things, reading labels. You know, people think they pick up some cans of beans or vegetables, many times they add salt. So you just wanna be very careful about what you're actually consuming. If it's not just, 
you know, the fresh fruits, veggies, uh, dried beans or dried grains that you might be cooking at home. And so the third one is actually weight loss. And um, sometimes it's interesting because, you you know, what we have in, in medical practice is BMI. So this is a measure of your height and your weight. And there's a calculation here and it's, it's not ideal, but it's the best thing we have, especially for me, like when I practice telemedicine, you know, BMI is the one thing that I can utilize. And even though you'll say under 25 BMI is considered a normal weight, what I've seen with patients is I need to push them actually their BMI to less than 22. And again, this is per person. There might be more muscle mass and some different things. But on average, less than 22 is actually where I start seeing some people who are maybe stuck and really can't get their blood pressure to move. That seems to be the magic threshold. Um, and what you'll see there with, let's say someone who's overweight um, and they have significant amount of weight to lose. If they lose 10 kilograms or 22 pounds or so, you'll see a, anywhere between a five to 20 point drop um, total in their systolic blood pressure. It's quite remarkable. Um, and I think another thing too, the, the fourth one, that's a, maybe a little bit harder for people to swallow because I'll have some people that are very, very conscious of what they're eating, but they still consume alcohol. But when you actually remove alcohol, um, you'll see a reduction of your blood pressure and some really interesting research. So you'll see five points on that top number, three on the bottom within the first month alone. And the further you go out, you can see that drop of systolic blood pressure for someone who already had high blood pressure, up to 12 points. And that's enough, honestly, many times to stop medications. And I really just wanted to highlight that even though so many people still consume alcohol and they think that it's um, not going to be harmful, any amount of alcohol is harmful. And so um, just want you to maybe rethink how much alcohol you're drinking if you do. And then finally, of course, we speak about exercise and all exercise helps blood pressure. But there's some really interesting research on a particular type of exercise, and it's called isometric exercise, like wall sits. I don't know about you, but when I was in PE and school, oh, I hated those wall sits. They were so hard, like you would just be sitting and shaking. But there's some really fascinating things that happen. And when they compared it to aerobic exercise, like walking, running, jogging, things like that, and resistance training, which of course is lifting weights, of course, all very good. The most statistically significant was this isometric exercise, and they were looking at the wall sit. So you could also do some other things like hanging from a bar, a planks, but there's something about using the big leg muscles. And what you'll see here is a 9.35 drop in systolic blood pressure, that top number, and a 4.3 drop in the bottom number. So what's the mechanism? So when they watched, they actually did an interesting study, and there's not very many studies on this, but what happens is it lowers the heart rate, okay? And you have an increase in stroke volume. So stroke volume is like when it's contracting, how much is actually being, um, of that percentage is pushed out. And so there's some things that you look at on the work of the heart, but there, there was no change in the actual cardiac output. What did happen was the total peripheral resistance decreased significantly. And what that is, if you can imagine, if you have stiff arteries and you're trying to push something into it, that is resisting, right? So there's some resistance and you get pushback. So that's what can lead to heart failure. But what happens here is that you have this relaxation and the total peripheral resistance decreases. And that's also seeing some improvements in what we call heart rate variability. And that basically is just the variation in time between each heartbeat 
it's kind of like if you can imagine balancing your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, your your relaxation and your stress systems, um, that actually also improved too. So in total, in summary, you get the whole food plant-based diet, significant reduction, lowering your sodium to 1500 milligrams daily, weight loss, trying to push that BMI less than 22, alcohol reduction significantly increases, especially after the first month, and then isometric exercises like the wall sit. Um, and yeah, so those would be the five things that I would encourage you guys to at least try to start employing today. Great. Well, thank you. I had no idea. I don't drink alcohol, so I would never have known, but I had no idea. Everybody knows salt and high blood pressure, but I had no idea that alcohol had had such an impact. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've had patients who were, I mean, following a very strict SOS free diet and we're still on two different blood pressure medications, but drinking two to three glasses of alcohol at night and for the life of me, could not get them to stop. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think that might've been part of it because he was also at a really good, healthy weight. So, you know, granted, these are anecdotal stories, but I think there's something to it. It's just so interesting. I always think about that quote from Dr. McDougall. People are always looking for good news about their bad habits, but I, you know, so many people and doc, even doctors and even a few that have been on the show just feel like alcohol is benign. And I mean, I don't care if people drink, it's their choice, but you know, it's just like, well, you know, the people in the blue zones drink and live to a hundred. Well, their offspring aren't living to a hundred, number one. And I, I don't think, you know, they don't drink in Loma Linda. So, you know, I feel like people look for like little, they pick and choose, you know, what they wanted, what their, what they want their habits to be. And then they justify them. But yeah. You know. And I think there might be a difference in the alcohol that they make versus the alcohol that we're consuming. Right. So if you're looking at the blue zones, and the wine and the different types of things that they're using, it, it actually might be less alcohol and more of the actual fruit that that's used to make it. Um, so I, I, I'm really hesitant to ever say, we know alcohol is detrimental to your health, it increases risk for cancer and obviously blood pressure here as well. But um, when you think about the different regions and how alcohol is made, I think we have to be very careful and probably further study needs to be done before we just say, yes, alcohol is okay. Look at the blue zones. Yeah, well, maybe so. they're stomping the grapes or something like that. So exactly. Anyway, the point is, if you don't drink, don't start, you know, right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and if you do drink, maybe consider cutting down or, or even eliminating, or depending, depending on what your health goals are, you know, it's a free country. Right. So we actually had once we knew the topic, we, you know, we send it out to our mailing list on Saturday. So if you're not on my mailing list, chefaj.com, we send you the schedule. That's how you get your questions pr- preferentially answered. And so this first one is, I saw a video recently comparing the impact of different forms of exercise on lowering blood pressure. This is so funny because you talked about this. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, isometric exercises like the plank and wall squats scored very high in terms of their efficacy in lowering blood pressure. What are your thoughts on this? And what are your recommendations for exercise? It's like, Uh it's like she literally read your mind in what you were going to talk about, right? That is so funny. I've actually done some lives on that as well. Um, so that was more recent, but yeah, no, uh, for my recommendation, I think there's several things and you might, and this, I feel like a wall sot, a wall sot, oh my goodness, a wall sit is something you can actually do on a regular basis. So I would say, you know, do three to five a day if you're dealing with blood pressure and it's also just good for you in general. And if you're needing, if you're finding that the uh, general wall sit you know, if you're sitting for a minute and it's not too challenging, you can actually take like a, a weighted ball and put it between your legs and bring in. So now you're even increasing the difficulty. 
But I typically recommend try to do resistance training three days a week and then some type of aerobic activity where you're getting your heart rate up high enough that if you and I were to try to converse or have a conversation, it would be a little bit out of breath, you know, just a little bit of a struggle. Um, and then, of course, you want to think about um, when you're doing your resistance training, it's just not even doing the same stuff and it's the easy stuff, but try to push yourself and do progressive trainings, meaning you're doing progressive overload. So let's say, this month, um, you're doing uh, squats and you're able to do with, you know, 20 pounds, try to go to 25 pounds the next month. And so what that's doing is it's recruiting more muscles, uh, building more muscle mass, making you stronger, which of course has some really uh, interesting research on longevity. And again, you just feel better. Uh, it helps you in your everyday life when you're going to pick stuff up like a grandkid or groceries or your pet. Um, all these different things can be very helpful. And also, I would recommend if you can doing a doing hanging from, you know, a bar um, and just seeing what your grip strength is and see how long you can actually hang because grip strength has also been associated with longevity. Great. Thank you. Here's a question. Uh, it says, is the use of baking soda, sodium bicarbonate for baking or brushing teeth add to the level of sodium intake to increase blood pressure? Hmm, that is really interesting. I'm hoping that, well, I guess if someone's swallowing it um, for heartburn, I really don't know if that would be considered the sodium chloride and how it actually works in the body and how it's processed. You know, if you're just brushing your teeth, if you're not swallowing, I wouldn't worry so much about it. Um, but yeah, that is an interesting question. I'd have to do a little bit deeper dive on exactly what happens on the body when you're Hey, maybe, maybe you could write it down if you could remember yeah. and then come back next month and tell us what you discovered. I know yeah. that as a pastry chef, um, you can buy online and at some natural food stores, you know, salt-free baking soda and salt-free baking powder. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. But I, I as just, far as brushing the teeth, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've never used it. As long as my grandmother used to use, uh, use it when she was, would brush her teeth and she had her teeth till the day she died. She was in her mid eighties. Um, but I'm not sure on, yeah, I'd have to look it up, but I can definitely look it up for sure. I learned so much from people asking questions. Yeah. Um, honestly, it just makes me go down rabbit holes. I probably would have never considered just, you know, doing general practice. Um, well, if somebody's using it for teeth brushing, because uh, I think it's a natural whitener, the SOS free versions are much more expensive, just so you know mm -hmm. that going in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're baking, you're, you know, you're using half a teaspoon or a teaspoon, but I don't know how much a person actually uses. You know, they call hypertension the silent killer because pretty much it's symptomless for most people, right? Right. Yeah. Very seldom would you have any type of symptoms until you're getting into, I would say, emergent levels like 180. And even then, it depends on how long they've had high blood pressure. Cause you, I have <laughs> seen more than a few cases. Someone would walk into my clinic, we measure their blood pressure, it'll be 180. And they're just sitting there like, How are you feeling? I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> you know? And uh, I think if they close in towards 200, sometimes they'll get a little symptomatic of headaches, dizziness, palpitations. Um, but uh, yeah, for the most part, most people are completely asymptomatic and they're surprised when they go into their doctor. Um, but if you go to the dentist or something and you see your blood pressure slightly elevated, go home and remeasure it when you're relaxed in a, a restful state. But I like Omron. Omron is a great um, company to do blood, you know, home blood pressure monitoring. Make sure it's the one up above the arm that you're sitting flat on your butt 
you know, haven't eaten in like half an hour and you're sitting there for at least five minutes just to give yourself a chance to relax. And if you're on blood pressure medications and you're switching um, to like healthier lifestyle, eating whole food plant-based diet, I do recommend patients keeping a very close eye because um, the blood pressure can drop very quickly. And some people, and you may need to stop medications. We don't want people passing out because they're embracing healthier lifestyles. So um, what you'd want to do is people go, well, well, should I check it? Depending on when you take your medications, you want to take it uh, before you take your medications, because that will tell me what your baseline is. And if it's still elevated, you still need the medication. And then I would take it about an hour after you take the medication, because what happens there, that tells me how much this medication is affecting you. So if you're taking, let's say two blood pressure medications, and it's much lower and you're symptomatic, you're dizzy upon standing, you're feeling very fatigued, um, that may be a place where like, okay, let's pull back at least one of these medications or cut them in half. So again, it's, it's very individualized, but you do need to keep a close eye on it. Well, I think it's, isn't it normal? I, even my, I'm pretty, I mean, I consider it low. Other people would, I'm normal. Other people would consider it low, but when I do go to the doctor or the dentist, it's always, I go, I go, I, cause if I were to yeah. take it at home, it's usually, you know, 80 over 50, 90 over 60. I go to the doctor and it's like 110 over 70. And they say that's still good. I'm like, right. that's not my blood pressure. I swear, right. you know, yeah. I just, get, and you know, it's weird, uh, Dr. Marbus, they, I've noticed, I used to be a respiratory therapist. And when we had to take blood pressure, we did it the old fashioned way with the sphygma, sphygma manometer and the stethoscope. Now, yeah. nobody does it that way. They have three, di I've, different doctors have different machines. One of them, they put this thing on your wrist and they tell you to go like this. That's number one. Uh, number two is you stick your arm in a thing like a CVS kind of thing. And it, and then number three, they put the cuff on themselves and then you hold your, like nobody checks it anymore like they did in the old days, you know? Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, so I always tell patients, if you're, if you're going to your doctor and you're consistently finding different blood pressures, or if you take your home blood pressure uh, monitor and take it to the doctor, if they want to, you know, have them actually calibrate it to make sure. Now, if they use their machine, have them say, can you please do it with your ears? Because that is by far the most accurate. So <clears throat> to make sure that your home blood pressure cuff, one is accurate, but two, if it's consistently different from home and you've seen it calibrated and your cuff is good, you know, speak to the doctor about that. You know, there's the white coat hypertension where people's blood pressure will increase, or maybe that cuff that they're utilizing for you is inaccurate. Sometimes machines don't work well for certain patients. Um, and you just might have to request that they actually do a manual blood pressure measurement on you when you go to see your doctor. And there's, there's nothing wrong with asking for that. And they, they will understand. I wonder if they even know how anymore. <laughs> I sure would hope so. I hope so too. Well, I would hope so. This isn't on blood pressure, but maybe you'll still ask it from Teresa. Yeah, of course. Um, is there any validity to taking citrus bergamot to reduce LDL cholesterol? Yeah, there is some. No, I can't tell you the exact numbers, um, but yeah, I've interviewed Dr. Kim Williams several times and um, Dr. Khan, and they all uh, will mention bergamot, which can be found in Earl Grey tea. And I don't know if it has the effect of your, on your cholesterol, but yeah, there is some evidence that bergamot can be helpful. And I don't know the exact amounts. It's not as good. I would say I would, if you were going to be looking at those type of things, I would look at AMLA. Um, and I've personally seen um, patients who are eating a whole food plant-based diet consume around, I don't know, half a teaspoon or so of all it is, is it's dried Indian gooseberry. It's very sour. Um, and it'll help blood sugars and blood pressure, or excuse me, uh, high cholesterol. 
And I've seen high cholesterol that was kind of like stuck. Cause I'll have some patients, they'll do everything right. They're doing food diaries. It's SOS free, whole food plant-based diet. They're exercising. And that cholesterol just kind of will sit right around that 200 mark, maybe a little higher. And the LDL is, you know, above hundred. We'll put them on some little bit of AMLA. We'll put in maybe some berberine. I'll see it drop maybe 40 points. Um, so it's pretty cool what you'll see. And also if your thyroid, if you have hypothyroidism, make sure that your thyroid is doing is well adjusted um, because that can also drive up uh, cholesterol a little bit. What about coffee? Does it, I, I've heard, is it exogenous cholesterol? I've heard coffee can raise that. Is yeah. That- co- coffee that's not filtered. There is some evidence that it can raise your cholesterol. So if you're doing like the French press, I don't drink coffee. So I'm, I'm just speaking by observing other people in the household that drink coffee. But if you're doing like the French press type where it's not filtered, you're not using that paper. Um, apparently that can be the problem, but if you filter it, that'll actually negate the elevation of the cholesterol and some people, it's not everybody. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So this is from Linda. I was on blood pressure medication for several years and through eating whole food, plant-based salt and oil-free, I was able to stop the blood pressure medication. However, my blood pressure has dropped so low that I was unable to donate platelets. It's 80 over 68. Is it possible to go too low? And what can I do other than adding salt back into my diet? Is 80 over 68 too low other than that she can't donate platelets, but is it too low? Okay. So this is really interesting. First of all, typically tinier people like yourself <laughs> AJ, um, might have lower blood pressures, right? You might hit like my blood pressure runs systolically 103 and I'm five, seven. So I'm not a, a, a shorter person. I'm taller. Um, so that actually might be a healthy blood pressure for you as long as you're not symptomatic. So that's the key here is, are you dizzy upon standing? Were you well hydrated when they measured it? Did they use a machine? Maybe you're too small. They didn't use a, a proper enough cuff, right? So if they, you know, if you're a smaller person and they used a bigger cuff, maybe they, it was an inaccurate blood pressure. So this is where you'd really want to ask them to measure it manually. And um, no, you don't want to go raising your blood pressure um, because you were on medications and then you came off of them. Um, elevating your blood pressure, trying to increase it can be a problem unless, unless you have a very um, rare type of disease that actually would cause low blood pressure. And there, there are some of those that have hypotension that they have to take medications to, you know, increase their blood pressure. But again, these are rare circumstances. Um, but for the majority, as long as you're not symptomatic, you know, you go ahead um, and just don't worry about it and just ask them to um, measure it uh, manually. Great. Thank you. Uh, this is a question from Anjali. And she asks, could you please share as many of the biological, physiological, and adverse to health reasons why it's important to prioritize the elimination of salt from the human diet? And if you could say the same about oil as well. Oh my. Okay. Um, I think that could be a, a <laughs> quite a long uh, discussion. That's okay. Yeah. So for as far as when you look at blood pressure, when you look at the actual mechanism that's occurring it's causing two things that um, I'm aware of when you look at the research is that it's causing actual stiffness um, of the actual arteries. And there is some potential evidence that it's actually shifting also. Um, You'll have 
well, I'll just go back. Listen, stiffening of the arteries and then increasing your fluid within the arteries. Because if, if has anyone ever eaten a salty meal that they didn't typically, you'll feel like swollen, your hands, your rings will be tight, you can't get them off. <clears throat> That's the body's response to consuming high sodium foods. And it'll may take a day or two days even to have your kidneys regulate that again. And so um, that's one thing. And then as far as um, interesting research, I'm trying to think, when was this? Um, just also with gastric cancer, they're thinking some really high sodium diets can't increase that in certain populations, uh, Asian populations. I have to go back and look at the exact data on that. But the oil piece... I think it depends on the type of oil there is, um, and you'll hear, um, you know, people making different um, recommendations. And this is, I'm going to tell you my personal recommendations to patients. Again, this is a very individualized approach because I have to speak to you where you are. You're, you know, if you're a 20 year old man who's eating a whole food plant-based diet and healthy, that's going to be different advice versus my, you know, middle-aged older patient who's diabetic, needs to lose hundred pounds, um, hypertensive, heart disease, right? So these, they're different populations and different discussions, but in general, um, what you wanna do is avoiding avoidance of saturated fats. So you really wanna look at avoiding things like coconut oil and those type of things because the saturated fats increases risk for so many things, including our number one killer, which is heart disease. <clears throat> now, when it comes to um, some patients are like, well, I'm hearing now that some, you know, cardiologists, even in the plant-based world are saying you can consume olive oil. It's been shown to be beneficial. And, you know, again, this is kind of like an alcohol discussion, right? So with the patient, it's your choice, how you choose this. I typically do not encourage people to utilize oil. And, and there's a few reasons why one <clears throat> oils, liquid fat. <laughs> so um, there may be some evidence, obviously that it's better than lard, when you consume olive oil, um, but it's still liquid fat and it's very quickly absorbed and processed by the body and stored away for, you know, those days when we didn't have food and it's stored away in your fat stores so that when you didn't have food, you'd have some type of um, energy until you could find your next meal. Um, but what are we replacing? When I have someone, majority of my patients are coming to me because they need to lose weight. They need to work on hypertension, heart disease. What are you replacing with, let's say, two tablespoons of uh, even olive oil? That's a, what, 120 calories per tablespoon, so 240 calories of liquid fat. So this is, you know, very, very highly. It's the most calorically dense food, as Chef AJ has very well taught all of us through the years. Um, what are we replacing with those 240 calories? Could this be 240 calories of some really healthy fruits and vegetables some beans, some whole grains that would also bring along the fiber, um, all the other micronutrients, the phytonutrients that come along with consuming those foods. So again, um, I do have some individuals who um, maybe they're very, very thin. They're very healthy. They're doing like ultra endurance races or something and they like you know, a vinaigrette or something mixed with oil. That's a different discussion than the majority of my patients. So that is my take and my typical response to people. Um, yes, there's evidence beneficial, but in most of my patients, I'd rather than be eating something else and get more benefit from the food. So then it just becomes of, yes, this is a helpful food or is this a more helpful food? 
I'm not sure like why people think they need oil, you know? I don't know either. Um, honestly, we haven't used oil in well over 10 years. And um, if we do go out and I have a meal that has some oil, I don't feel well. So I really try to avoid that as much as oh, possible. It, just, it feels like, like, yeah, it's just, yeah. It nausea, you kind of get. I've thrown up. I've actually thrown up when I've had it. It, oh, just, wow. it just doesn't, I mean, because it's been so many years, you know, salt, I can tolerate a little bit, but it yeah. makes my wedding ring not come off. So it just makes my fingers all fat. And yeah. Cool. Yep. But uh, yeah, yep. it's interesting, but pe people love the stuff. So anyway. yeah. Uh, this is from Lisa. Dr. Marvis, could you please explain how to take a home blood pressure reading? I'm currently measuring twice a day, early morning and early evening, and keeping a record of results. Should I take the reading two or three times in a row and keep the best one or average the numbers? The numbers are usually a little different each time. Overall, I get anxious when having my blood pressure taken by someone else. So I want to record for a while and hopefully have better accuracy. Thank you. Yeah, let me pull up. I have a a cuff here um because i've been using because i'm doing this uh uh oops, excuse me summit so i would utilize it in some of the videos so um this is the omron right so this goes up on your upper arm and when you measure it there's a little here you go this little here where you see the tubing come out you want to make sure that it's kind of up above this what they call the antecubital fossa it's above this the crease in your elbow here Here's where you want it. And when you put it on, here we go. It's a little hard to do because I'm one-handed here. There we go. And you want it anywhere between one or two fingers. It's not too tight and not too loose, right? And if you need to, you can scoot it around. There you go. See, that might be a little too tight. But anyway, what you're trying to do is get that tubing in that middle section. Okay, and then what you wanna do is just sit upright with your feet planted on the floor. And then you're just gonna rest your arm. You know, they say heart level, but on the table is fine. Not talking while you're doing the blood pressure, push your button or doing whatever it is, <clears throat> and then have the reading. And then just wait at least a minute or two minutes, repeat it, and then wait another one or two minutes and you can repeat again. And then you wanna do an average of those three. And that will tell you um, in general, and yes, it's normal for it to bounce around a little bit, I've seen blood pressure drop. Um, that's there's there's another really interesting thing you can do to drop blood pressure is actually um, breathing, like four seven eight breathing, box breathing, um, any of these type of deep breaths, holding and a slow exhale. I've seen the four seven eight breathing drop uh, systolic blood pressure that I measured with my own ears, fifteen points. Um, within a few minutes. So it's pretty amazing, but yeah, you'll want to take the average of those three and then that'll be your, your blood pressure reading. And like I'd mentioned before, try to do it before and then one hour after you take your medications. So we know what your baseline is and then what those medications are actually doing to you. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is from Kathy. It's not on blood pressure, but it's a good topic. If you have a thoughts on it. And she wants to know, how do you address long COVID? I got to tell you, I know, I mean, at the beginning, you weren't hearing a lot about it. I know so many people that are still suffering from this and yeah. side effects from the vaccines. Like, I mean, I don't mean like two, I mean, like a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, I think I saw more patients, obviously when I, when we launched plant-based telehealth back in 2020, and as you know, in the months went on, I began to see most of the folks that I had seen um, 
about a year or so before they actually were symptom-free or began to have improvement of symptoms. And it really becomes a matter of supplying the body with all the nutrient needs, because I don't think we fully understand the long COVID. Um, I do know that um, some individuals, when they uh, did get the vaccine, they had a recurrence of an autoimmune disease, maybe that had been quiescent or quiet. And um, for example, psoriasis, I saw rheumatoid arthritis. Um, what else had I seen? Inflammatory bowel disease kind of rear its head. So some really interesting things can happen when you're really activating the immune system, because, but that's how vaccines work. Um, but um, as far as the long COVID, I, you know, it's really increasing as much of the antioxidants that you can really just giving people to try to get as much of those variety of nutrients as you can and building that gut microbiome um, to make it really healthy. But yeah, I don't, I don't have a protocol or anything. That's not really my specialty, but it is, it is really disconcerting, especially when you think about the, um, the vagueness, the fogginess, the mental capacity issues that were occurring with people. Um, and I know it's extremely frustrating um, for some folks, but, uh, but most of the folks that I worked with were six to 12 months. They were back to their baseline. Yeah. I, when I was, I was recently on vacation for two weeks at True North and so many of the patients there were there for symptoms of really? COVID and fat. Yeah. So it's, it's a thing guys. Yeah. And it's I just not that, my, it's, it's just not, not your, what your, most people, of yeah. but thank you. And this question is from Victoria. I'm a 77-year-old woman eating plant-based for two years and was feeling good. Recent blood work results, cholesterol 117, triglycerides 89, to name a few, lost weight effortlessly after trying to lose weight for years and good blood pressure, showing me this way of eating works. Recently, after stressful events, a heart monitor showed a few episodes of supraventricular tachycardia with normal heart rate and rhythm. EKG was fine. My family, who does not eat this way or the way I do, blames the tachycardia on the way I eat now. My physician put doubts in my mind, questioning and exclaiming critically, you're not eating meat, dairy, or eggs, which makes me question myself. Am I lacking nutrients? nutrients. I'd appreciate suggestions how I can ease my mind and stress to heal this tachycardia and continue to believe I'm caring well for my body and mind. It didn't cause this way. And it didn't cause this by eating this way. I'll talk to hundred year old Don, John Scharfenberg and he'll tell you, but anyway, I'll let Dr. <laughs> Marvis answer of course. Yeah. So um, when it comes to arrhythmias, um, actually a very good friend of mine, Dr. Maria Anderson, she's plant-based in uh, a specialist cardiologist in this. She's actually done her EP training and then an additional uh, training. So she's my go-to person when it comes to arrhythmias. But when you look at the baseline stuff, most of the time, you know, stress can cause these type of things, but make sure that you are getting uh, um, a good amount of healthy fats. So like, you know, um, walnuts, uh, ground flaxseed, chia seed, these, um, um, short chain omegas, like the ALA containing foods, because there is some evidence that when um, you're very low in that, that that can increase your risk for certain type of arrhythmias like AFib, for example. So that would be my first thing. But number one, <laughs> you can just point to all the things well, the first 75 years of your life led to disease. And then the last two years that you ate, you lost weight, your cholesterol is beautiful, you feel good how can they, they argue with the evidence in your own life, right? So if you saw an improvement in all these metrics and then you actually had a stressful event, 
I mean, stress could even cause a heart attack. I mean, so it really is, you know, confounds me when a doctor would say, what? <laughs> you're not eating meat, dairy, or eggs, and this is unhealthy. It just, it's amazing to me. But no, you're doing everything right. But that those would just be the one caveat that I would just say you might want to pay attention to. And making sure that you're getting a good uh, source of B12, I do recommend supplementation. You know, um, we were talking about Dr. C.E. Grimm before we went live, and I was yeah. going, I'm going to introduce you to him as soon as the show is over. And, you know, he says, and also other doctors have said that it's not the type of salt. Like, so people think like magically, if they use coconut aminos or Bragg's amino acid or miso, that it's not salt. It may be lower in sodium, but doesn't it still have the same effect on high blood pressure? It, it really depends. Um, yeah. So sodium is sodium in the, in the long run, but it depends on what is the package with. So there is some interesting evidence when you look at the miso, for example, because there's such a high amount of potassium, right, that that would need to get negate the sodium effects. Because remember, the the kidney regulates the potassium and sodium, so that's where they people may be um, saying that they could get away with using some other things. But um, again, at the end of the day, if you have high blood pressure, you need to be lowering that sodium content. I don't care where it's coming from to less than fifteen hundred milligrams daily. Thank you. Alinda mm -hmm. says, can you address white coat hypertension? What can we do about it? I have my home blood pressure recorded, but it still causes problems when a dentist or a doctor sees it. What if she like actually shot a video, like and held up a newspaper showing this was the date and then took it and then showed them the video when they got, when she got there? You know, she very well could do that. She could actually just, I think um, you could even timestamp your, um, just a video on your cell phone, right? Cause it'll tell you the date and time and where it is. Um, yeah. So if, if they're giving you a hard time, just bring in your blood pressure monitor to the doctor's office and say, okay, please calibrate that this is accurate readings so that when I do go home um, in my normal 99% of the time that I'm living, I'm okay. But if I come to a stressful place, like, I don't know, just the sound of the drill and I'm not even in a dentist office makes, I'm sure my blood pressure <laughs> crawl a higher amount. Um, I mean, I'll never forget the first time I, I, they measured my blood pressure in a dentist office. I think it must've hit a magic age or something because they started doing that. Uh, it was like 133 or something like, oh, that's fine. I'm like, that is not fine. I was like, that stressed me out even more. So then what happens is you're going into the doctor's office, your stress, a stress response will increase your blood pressure because you're heightened alert, your cortisol, adrenaline are going. You don't know you're maybe getting bad news or you're having to deal with a doctor that can be a bit cantankerous or you're going to the dentist's office and you know it's going to be painful. <laughs> They're poking and prodding in there. And so that's a normal physiologic response to stress, right? So it's unfortunate that we're having some of these things happen, but it's an absolute real thing. And But it's really important that they look at the evidence. And then the other thing you could ask them to do is order you, um, you know, a 24 hour blood pressure cuff at home and um, they can do that. It's a prescription. They order it. You take home the blood pressure cuff. It's stuck to you uh, for 24 hours. And I think about every 15 minutes, it'll go off even while you're sleeping um, and measure blood pressure. And maybe that will be enough evidence. But um, yeah, I would just you know, make sure it's calibrated that it's accurate in front of them. And two, that you can provide the data. You can do pictures. I mean, they should trust you that you're writing it down. You could bring in the machine and look at the memory. 
Um, but um, yeah, and the other thing you could do before going into the doctor's office or while you're in the waiting room is some of this breathing technology techniques, right? So for example, four, seven, eight breathing. I don't know if he invented it, but he made it more popular as Dr. Andrew Wheel. Um, yeah. So ba basically it's, you know, you're breathing in over four, nice and slow counting like one and two and three and four. So you're breathing in and then you hold for seven. Okay. Count to seven. And then you breathe out over the count of eight and you repeat that cycle four times. And there's a really interesting book called Breath. It was a really fascinating. James um, Nestor, book. I've had him on the show. Yeah. Really? Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Yeah, he is it was really fascinating. Um, I've had some patients do really well with um, mouth taping and different things for a variety of reasons, but um, I never would have thought that, you know, taping your mouth closed could help your sleep. Um, and uh, apparently it does for some folks, but anyway. They, he, he speaks to some of more of the science with breath and breath work and different things, but the four and eight breathing is easy. The other one you could do, I teach little kids is you breathe in and out and out in and out and just follow your fingers like this. And then believe it or not, Navy SEALs actually utilize box breathing. So you breathe in over four, breathe out over four. And so if Navy SEALs do it in there and some very stressful situations, you know, it's probably going to be beneficial for you as well. So I would definitely utilize some breath work um, while you're in the waiting room or in the, in the room waiting for your doctor. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Rhonda says, does drinking beet powder each day make a difference? I don't, our friend JP, John Pierre recommends something yeah. called beet boost and maybe yeah. you can talk about that. Yeah. Beets actually do. Um, you can put that in the same line of thinking as the um, dark green leafy veggies but many times this is the beetroot, the red part, um, actually really good evidence um, anywhere from, I believe if I remember the numbers right, it was like four to seven on the top. Um, so, you know, each, and I think it was, I can't remember the exact measurement. Oh, I just read about this too. Um, I'll have to go back. Let me look back here on, on the number of milligrams you want to be looking at on the actual extract. Um, I think it was 56 if I remember right, but don't, don't take me word for that. I'll look at that. And I can give you the exact beat prescription that you'd want to look for. Thank you. Let's see if there's any more questions in the chat. Uh, oh, here's a comment from Meg. I gave up alcohol a year ago when whole food plant-based, no oil, lost 53 pounds, needed to lose 30, have blood pressure still in 120s over 80s. My weight loss has slowed. For me, I think it's still the salt. Well, she can maybe do an experiment and stop the salt and see if it makes a difference. Exactly. Right? And congratulations by what everything you've done so far. That's fabulous. But yeah, absolutely. And if you've lost weight, try to see if you, you know, that, that lower, as you get lower uh, or closer to your ideal weight, the weight loss will get harder to do. So, um, but again, that's where just a, a small amount of maybe calorie deficit, um, maybe, you know, hundred calories per day. Um, with your exercise, removing, of course, the salts will help with the blood pressure, but pushing, trying to get that BMI to 22 or under might be appropriate for you. But again, um, you do want to speak to your doctor about it. Thanks. Let's see. Uh, Dana says, when you check your blood pressure and it's high, then you retest a few times and the number goes down to normal. Do you need to worry that it was not normal when you first tested? Um, what I would do is just make note of it and see if it happens each time. 
Um, maybe that's because you're stressed about what the initial reading will be. I have had patients get so zoned in on their blood pressure that it'll tie and then they get more and more stressed and it gets higher and higher. Um, but maybe you're taking the opportunity to say, okay, it's high. Maybe I need to do some breathing exercise, or maybe you're just like, okay, I need to relax. Even just that mind body connection might be the reason that you're seeing it decline a little bit. But, um, I would actually, um, just see if that's just a regular occurrence and then have someone listen with the stethoscope to see if these are actually accurate and if that's occurring. Um, again, it's about calibration because it is still at the end of the day, a machine, but when you hear it, you can, you know, for sure that this is an accurate measurement. Yeah. Right. Uh, Tia says suggestions on using large muscle isometric exercise. If knees do not bend and can't get on the floor for planks. Okay. Um, so. I mean, honestly, you could probably even do it to a degree. Like I'm assuming you can sit in a chair. Um, and if you scooted maybe out a little bit from your chair, I don't know, you know, you'd want to be safe because I don't know what restrictions you have, but somehow maybe lifting your body on the edge of a chair and just tightening everything, like tightening your, your leg muscles, tightening your core and your hands, and just kind of pushing upwards a little bit. I think it'd be harder if you're sitting towards the back, but that's the whole point of the, um, the wall sits is you're contracting those big muscles. But if you can just kind of move to the edge, push yourself up, if you can, bend on your hips and just tighten the best you can, or you could take a ball or something, put them between your legs and push in tightening those muscles, pushing it in that way. Um, another one might be is taking some bands. I have some bands here as well. You could actually, you know, these kind of bands here, I'll show you like a band here, excuse me, put them on your legs, pull out and push out against it consistently and hold for like 30 seconds if you can. Um, that too, because what, what we're wanting to do is pushing against some type of resistance, tightening your muscles. That's the isometric. And then you could probably Google isometric exercises um, with, you know, mobility restrictions of something. Um, I'm sure there's plenty and plenty people who've done that, but those would just be some, the first ideas that I might, might want to do for modification. Great. Thanks. And here's a question from Debbie. How long should you wait to have your blood pressure taken after you've entered the exam room? Mm. That's really, it's, that's a really interesting question because so many times people come into um, the exam room, they're immediately throwing on the blood pressure cuff. They're not even following the typical, you know, guidelines to actually measuring healthy uh, or, or an accurate blood pressure. So I would ask them to at least let you sit for at least five minutes. Yeah. It depends on the time. Cause of course, doctor's time is short and oh it might be God. rushing. Doctor's time is short, but the amount of time you wait for them is long. And they put you yeah. in a windowless room without any magazines. And it's like, of course you get, I mean, it's just, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I wish I could see a pediatrician, at least like there's toys and they wear like <laughs> colorful scrubs and that would be a lot easier. So Debbie says, I'm watching this on my lunch, Tom, while, while working as a clinician in primary care, the information is amazing. I need to work for a plant-based doc because so it's, it's so hard to keep my mouth shut. Well, if that's true, there's openings at True North, Dr. Goldhammer said. They have RNs there and, and, and nurse practitioners and pretty much every specialty. Uh, Lori said she came in late, but she wants to know exactly how is it that alcohol affects the blood pressure? The actual mechanism? 
Hmm. I'd have to go back because what I was reading was a meta-analysis. So they were just describing the multiple. I didn't go into the mechanism, but I can go dig into the mechanism and see if I can find something. I'm thinking mm -hmm. it's probably something to do with um, inflammation and um, yeah, I, I'm going to assume it's probably something to do with inflammation, but I'll double check. Write that down. You've got to check on baking soda and so how okay. baking sodium beets and alcohol. Yeah, because because actually there's another comment on beets saying a friend's doctor told her not to eat carrots or beets saying they were bad for her heart. Oh okay, don't go back to that doctor, please. <laughs> oh my God, that is something. Um, so Gotta Get says, can you discuss postprandial hypotension? Postprandial hypertension. So basically after eating low blood pressure, you know, I've only seen one case. I've been a doctor for over 20 years and I've only seen one case of this hypotension. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember the exact mechanism, but it's in some individuals, there's something that's happening after they're eating that will cause the low blood pressure with the vagal nerve. Um, and typically it's related to the lower heart rates. And, um, again, it's very, very rare. Um, but, uh, hmm, I'd have to look at, sorry, I don't as far as the, the diagnosis of what was the actual physiological mechanism, um, on that. You guys ask some really specific. I know. I'm telling you questions. You keep me on a, my toes. Educated, smart audience. I'm telling you, you got you got you got to be prepared. Well, while you're looking something up, I just want to uh, read this question from Kess, and I have an answer for it. Any recommendations on institutions where one can get certified in plant-based SOS free to help people? I've helped myself. I want to help people too. Unfortunately, in my country, people want to be sure you actually have certifications to back your knowledge before they listen to you. Well, you couldn't have asked this question on a better day because at 11 o'clock, I have Ocean Robbins on and he's going to talk about his food, uh, his, his certification coaching program that takes very few people and it starts pretty soon. So come back at 11 and we'll have all that information for you. What are the chances? Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that he's got some really good training. So yeah, it'd be really interesting. Yeah, he's got some great speakers. Um, let's see. My the Meg commented the weight loss slowed. She still has 30 pounds to lose to get to a 24 BMI, but she'll try your suggestion to 22 BMI breathing now. Nice. Great. Right. Um, when it gets to the postprandial hypotension, so basically you think about dehydration, there's some medications. Um, like for use for Parkinson's disease. And then if there's some autonomic nervous system dysfunction, um, in, including blood pressure issues like Parkinson's, diabetic neuropathy can cause it. Um, sometimes there's an issue with reflexes um, and then blood flow actually to the digestive system can cause it as well. So there you how, go. How common is hypertension? Oh, hypertension is very, very common. And it was really interesting depending on the actual uh, location, um, upwards of, you know, some, some populations, it's almost 40 to 50%, um, some Asian populations close to like 30%. So it's, it's very, very common. Um, but, you know, look at prediabetes, diabetes, 30% of our population is walking around with prediabetes or diabetes. Um, and it's, you know, correlating with body weight, 74% of Americans are now overweight or obese. It's, uh, it's really, it's, it's a, a difficult situation. What, what are the names, is it the Tarahumara, is it a, the tribe that they don't eat salt and they like, they run like forever? Tarahumara, Mexico. And they have like the lowest blood pressure? 
I mean, should yeah. it be like proof that this actually works? <laughs> yeah. The Tahoe Mars, I mean, they they will run hundred mile races like in the mountains. It's it's pretty remarkable. I think isn't there is a book, it's uh Born to Run. I think it's uh about that. It's a really interesting book. You, you guys should check it out if you haven't. Nice. So are you are you gonna do like a different topic each month? Have you decided? Yeah. Or... Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, like I said, I want to kind of focus in on some of the things that most of my patients are asking about. So I'm assuming most of these guys will have a similar topic. Uh, and uh, yeah, we can talk about a variety of different things. So if anyone and wants how, to send in topics, I'm happy to take those too. How does one become a patient of Dr. Lori Marvis? Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, I am seeing patients across the country. I'm licensed in all 50 states and including D.C., and you go to drmarvis.com and there's the variety. And I also partnered with um, Brittany Giruti and we have a thing called the Healing Kitchen. It's a low cost monthly membership where we meet weekly live. She does cooking, we provide recipes and I answer all and any medical questions every single Wednesday for an hour. And then um, we do expert workshops once a month with the Healing Kitchen. Um, we have Dr. Clapper coming in next month. We have Kim Campbell joining us. We have Brenda Davis joining us in January. And then every single month, I also do an in-depth workshop with an ebook. And actually, it's tomorrow night. I'm doing one all about uh, plant-based labs and what labs you should be getting, what um, is normal for a plant-based eater versus a, normal, a different population. And that's my, again, all free to the Healing Kitchen members. And hopefully you gave me all that information because that whatever yes. you write, I put in the show notes. Yes, ma'am. It's all, and it's all listed on drmarvis.com. You just go there, you'll see Healing Kitchen or Become a Patient. And for those that don't know what show notes are, because we get this all the time, like under a YouTube, they'll say, I don't see anything. You have to click more because then it, the box expands and everything is there. But some people, I guess, don't know that. Let me just double. I don't think there's any. Oh, okay. Um I think we sort of answered this with beets, but uh, and beet boost, but Leah says, does beet powder help with nitric ox oxide yeah. production? Yes. I realize the whole food is best, but if you're in a traveling situation. I would say you could do beet, beet powder daily. Um, yeah. It's kind of got that earthy taste. Um, and it's usually a small amount um, when you look at the scoops, but it's, you'll want to look at the amounts of particular extracts. And I will have to go back and look, like I said, that's one of my one of my four things, I'll tell you how many milligrams per serving or what they're Perfect. actually measuring. Yeah. Debbie says, uh, the lack of alcohol to help reduce blood pressure makes perfect sense to me. Constricting blood vessels, ergo redness of treaks while drinking is due to all due to inflammation due to constricted uh, vessels. And Karen is very excited that you're going to be coming on every month. So great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this is great. Thank you guys for really good questions. I'm Again, I feel like I'm smarter for patients. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dr. Marvis. You're welcome. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please do come back in an hour, Kess and everyone else, because Ocean Robbins will be here talking about the plant-based coaching revolution. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.